Welcome back to How Picard Could It Be? Uh, how are you, Christopher? I'm exceptionally tired. There are spoilers ahead for episode four, season two of Picard. So if you have not watched it yet, or if you go and do your homework and come back, we won't wait, but you can pause us. And if you don't want to watch episode four of uh, Picard, that's okay. Uh, you can just listen to us talk about things that are happening in the world of media that are not Star Trek Picard. And to do that, all you need to do is jump to this timestamp, ably performed in the future <laughs> by our good friend, Siri. 21 minutes dead. Huh? Can that be right? Thank you, Siri. Um, now, Christopher, we've made two false starts on this podcast where I tried to remember what happens and I, I couldn't remember anything. So give us a quick reminder of what happened in this episode and, you know, just a couple of sentences. So I am bad at this stuff too. Spaceship crashed to Earth, we thought in LA, but perhaps it was France. Yeah, we got really confused we're when... We're following this very well. <laughs> we thought they were in LA. No, we thought they were in San Francisco and then um, Alison Pill and Picard were in uh, Shadow Picard. Card. but then really they beamed there, they must have beamed there, there San Francisco yeah. okay um uh there was that you had Rios being uh, detained in a prison cell by immigration you had Agnes betraying the Queen's trust yes. which was very <gasps> exciting that was good and then you had a big set uh, I was gonna call it a set piece which usually sort of refers to battles but you had a big uh set of scenes with Picard and Guinan, young Guinan. That was the best part. I actually don't really care what happened to anyone else. Although yes. Agnes Pill and what the hell's her name? Alison Pill. <laughs> Agnes Pill. <laughs> Agnes Pill. And the Borg Queen was quite exciting. But yeah, all I really care about was Jean Luc met the young Guinan. Yeah. And she, he was threatened by her many a time, which he ignored. Yeah, <laughs> no, it did ahead. not mean no for him. It was very sweet because. They finally sort of uh, gathered these coordinates by uh, Alison Pill having tricked the Queen and got, got 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 where the Watcher would be, or maybe this isn't the Watcher, but certainly a notable character in her narrative. Oh, I forgot about the Watcher. And when Picard went to those coordinates, was uh, transported to those coordinates. And by the way, small side note here to point out the ridiculousness of the plot hole, which was uh, they were cold. And, but they couldn't put the heating on in the car because in the spaceship because there's not enough power. But there was enough power to activate the cloaking device. <laughs> anyway, when Jean-Luc Picard arrived at the destination for these coordinates, it was uh, ten forward in yeah. effect because it was it was number ten forward street. Number ten forward street. <laughs> That's and only he, he, well, even he did a sort of like no. Kind oh, of you guys! Action, but I, I quite like that. It was fun. I liked her dog too. Yes, um, which I suspect. Patrick Stewart had a hand in because I think he's done some charity work for pit bulls. Yeah, I seem to remember he's always promoting the dogs that are in his number one dog. I'm sure he managed to get rehomed or something. Am I might think of another TV no, show. I think you're right. Uh, look, this is going to be an incredibly scattershot uh, episode because we're bad at this um, and you don't deserve any better than us. Um, I've got some things I want to raise. So this is a, a little cameo for peter cohen who referred to me last week as being in a twilight world on our twitter account and who will make an appearance in an upcoming episode but he's making an appearance in this one because he made the really good point to the how picard twitter account that i was a bit kind of skeptical about i always feel a bit shortchanged when they go to uh the same place that the, the real world but perhaps with some odd 
signs and the windows kind of thing. But he's like, yeah, but filming in LA is going to be hella expensive anyway, which is a good point. It is a good point. Yeah, I remember when we lived in Bath, it was outrageously expensive to film uh, out in the street. It is true. Yeah, it Must was. be cheaper on a, on a set. There were some really good lines in this. I love, I, I adored Picard talking to Guyon and saying, I forget the tense he used, but it was like, we, we, we met or we will meet many tomorrows ago. Remember her time sickness? That her was really sickness, exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's all like hit her in a yeah, way. Yeah, she threw up. <laughs> threw up, which was great. Big uh, shout out to Seven of Nines hair, which did a huge amount of acting in the car chase scenes, <laughs> best supporting Oh, I couldn't hair. have cared less about that car chase. It I really, was, oh, I was just like, oh, just hurry up and uh, beam out of that car. It was quite funny because she, uh, as, as she was driving, uh, Jerry Ryan, they obviously, uh, you know, you know how filming works. She's not actually driving. Um, they're probably going at three miles an hour. But I think there was like a, a, an assistant out the window with a big fan sort of making her Blowing hair, the hair around. Yeah, well, it's quite good. Silly. I liked it when the, the policeman approached the car, or was it a woman? And she was like, put your hands up. And they would, you just saw the last little bit of the beam <laughs> as they shimmered away. That was also one of my favourite things when I, when a new Star Trek came out when I was a, a boy or like when I encountered a new Star Trek rather. Well, I wasn't engaged with them as they came out chronologically but when I came in you series when you saw like how are they going to do the transporter in this one? I think was it not the case that for the original series they did like it was like sort of pom-poms oh, were sort oh, yeah, of like yeah, waved it was, it, yeah, it was like, on um, glass with like the camera you, pointing up Like you use at Christmas time you know that sort of like sh shimmery lametta yeah, I call it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is quite sweet. And, and of course now we've got computers to do these things. What happened to Rios in the end? Did he get out of where he was? Uh, yes, because he got put on one of the buses, but I don't think we... Oh, I mean, oh the, the, yeah, the, the, he was the, on the bus The thing. story is he's being deported effectively, but I don't know I don't know where, where that bus is, is actually is actually heading. Um, the one serious point I'll make, um, particularly, and this isn't just me trying to atone for um, suggesting that Hispanics would be delighted to see their country represented. <laughs> oh, don't say it again. No, I'm not. <laughs> but actually, one of the one of the narrative conceits they dealt with a lot in this was the difference between white and non-white attitudes to police. Mm -hmm. uh, so you had Rafi getting all up in the grill of one of the police, uh, one of the police, or at least authority figures. And yeah, it was a desk sergeant. It was a desk sergeant type character, if not literally a desk sergeant. But then, uh, but then you had seven or nine. Uh, coming in and be like, oh no, it's fine. Oh, don't don't aggravate it. Don't don't you inflame. Do a good job, yeah. Um, and they 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 did lots of uh, lots of different you know different ways of. Guinan said races. that as well. She said, uh, "I don't." Um, Picard asked her to be patient. She said, "When you look like me, you don't have the time to be patient. Yep. Patience is a luxury kind yeah, of thing." Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've saw I've seen a little bit of discourse on social media saying that it's being a little bit preachy. To which I say, "Have you never have seen? Have you never seen Star Trek? Have you never seen Star Trek before? It's it's been it's always been incredibly preachy. It's but true, but it's a, it's a classic. I don't thing. have a problem with it. <laughs> it's fine. I sort of wonder how because it's a it's a trope, right? It's such a pop. It's such a common thing to happen. It wasn't Star Trek the first TV show to ever show an interracial kiss. kiss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's such a, a, a common thing to happen for people on the right to complain about, you know, the wokeness of uh, sci-fi and fantasy in particular. But I kind of wonder because because the it also it, it reads the betrayal. It was like, oh, when I was a kid, this was it was good family fun, but now it's all you know woke. 
you must have watched that and you must have internalized some of the lessons of, you know, equality and love and acceptance and everything else, as ham-fisted and, and crass as it sometimes was. And how have you got to the stage now where you think that's you're surprised a bad thing? by it? Ridiculous. Um, do you know what? I think I I'm struggling slightly with this episode. It it was perfectly fine, but I just I found it a bit treading water. We seem to have those episodes. I I I've noticed myself saying it this season. Season I can't remember all the way back to season one of Picard and things we said about it then, but this season in particular, I've noticed we seem to have these kind of pivoty episodes where yeah. where. Uh, it's not about what happens at that point. It's about turning the narrative to point in a direction so that the next episode can can have its lead, have its reign and, and run with it. Because there was all this stuff about the Watcher and I really yeah. like that when the Watcher is kind of jumping around bodies and then and then the queue at the end, remember? Yep. But I'm really like, I, it's all oh, just very oh, flowed through my brain and out the other side, oh, I can't really remember much Although... I, as the credits rolled when we watched it some days ago now we're um struggling to keep up um but as the credit rolled some days ago i turned to you and said i told you q was sick yeah but remember picard said that as well because you, you're he not well clicked his finger nothing happened nothing happened that was exciting was my i predict that he's been turfed out of the con the continuum the collective yeah maybe he's on his own he's gone rogue maybe he has well look uh, let's us stop trying to half-ass talking about episode four of Picard. Let's instead turn to somebody who has got some coherent and coherently expressed thoughts. Who can whole ass it. it? Who can whole ass episode four of Picard? Uh, we're very delighted this time to be joined by a doctor, Doctor Sarah Andrika Bickerton. Um, she is a newbie podcaster. She's podcasted on a podcast you and I have appeared on, Pants in the Boot, mm -hmm. a podcast on Agents of Smooch. Um, she's a lecturer in politics, policy, gender at the University of Auckland, New Zealand. And she's lived in the US, she's lived in the Netherlands, and but she grew up in New Zealand, where she is back now. And from whence? She's in the future. Across the airwaves, her words come to us. <laughs> I've been a Star Trek fan from forever, um, although mostly for me in my early years it was the books. Um, and I, I read a ton of them and, and didn't get into the original series until I got a little bit older. But um, I do remember back in 1989-1990 here in New Zealand, it wasn't initially on TV. There was no such thing as an immediate rebroadcast back in those days. And... Um, but I remember seeing the DVDs appearing in Blockbuster or possibly Video Easy. Um, I recall being like taken aback, um, like how dare they attempt to redo Star Trek and those funny uniforms that are just terrible. But eventually, TNG, um, they came to syndication here and I adored it, of course. Um, Picard became my favorite captain up until Saru from Discovery. And I've seen every single piece of canon Star Trek video media since and read so many of the books even since then. Um, I mean, I love Star Wars too, though I'm more of a Last Jedi Star Wars fan than a Rise of St Skywalker Star Wars fan, but that's a story for another time. But I am first and foremost a Trekkie. Throughout my undergrad university years, the pendant hanging off my keys was an original TNG com badge. And here's the thing, 
A lot of the criticism of Picard is that it is fan service, and that so much of the show is references that a casual fan might miss. And you know what I've started to think? That criticism is right, but it doesn't matter. Why? Because Star Trek Picard is a show that rewards the fans. It's designed to be so. It's literally a spin-off homage for one of the greatest Starfleet captains of all time. The show is meant for those that have loved TNG and the widest Trek universe, so much so that we are willing to tune in to watch a show named after a character from another show. That other more casual fans can come along for the ride too is wonderful. But in this modern contemporary video streaming world, that they would make a niche show that to all of us Trekkies would wink at us and say, yeah, you saw that, didn't you? You know what we're on about. We see you. Like, for instance, in this week's episode, a simple line from Picard saying, fascinating, as he figures something out, a callback to both Data and Spock. And then in the same scene, Girardi calling Picard a Dixon Hill rather than a Sherlock Holmes, a reference to the detective character Picard would often play on the Enterprise holodecks, even featuring that character from First Contact. And of course, how could I miss the punk blasting out punk music on the bus, which most, of, most will recognize as a callback to the Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. But it's the same actor. Kirk Thatcher played the same character in Voyage Home. The really funny thing is that Thatcher actually wrote I Hate You and I Berate You, that song for the scene in Star Trek IV. So when he says, I really like this song, it has this added meaning because it is his own. Not to mention, he grabs the side of his throat, the same side where Spock applied his Vulcan neck pinch back in Star Trek IV. And yes, I totally looked that up to check to make sure I was right on the actor. I will admit that lingering shot on the bus that this scene flagged as, as its intent, as a really solid intent, had me saying no way and then laughing my head off when the interior shot was revealed. It was absolutely brilliant. But that's not the only reference there if you notice them. There are multiple references in Picard's scenes with Guinan to the um, uh, TOS episode The City on the Edge of Forever with Edith Keeler, as well as DS9's to episode Time's Arrow set in San Francisco. And I have to say, there are a number of oblique references to The Guardian of Forever, which is turned up in a number of Star Trek shows. Then, of course, there is the fact that, temporally speaking, Guinan has met Picard before now, back in the 19th century, in the two-episode event Time's Arrow from TNG. Oh, and we won't even mention that the director for this episode and the previous one was Leah Thompson, who is often known for her role in the Back to the Future franchise as, as Marty McFly's girlfriend and wife. Time travel inception? We can only but enjoy it. And that's the thing. The actors particularly seem to be really enjoying themselves this season. They were just kind of finding their footing last season. And this has given this season so much better flow because of that enjoyment. So yes, the way I take Picard 
is as a homage to the fangirls, fanboys, fan inbies out there. The ones that have put in the years, the nerdery that we all have. So that we can share that nerdery with our friends, loved ones, and try to have them enjoy the nuance as much as we do as they enjoy Picard themselves. It's a love letter to Trek fandom, and I love the show for it. This does mean that the one downside I will give is that Seaman and Ruffy's relationship is starting to unfortunately fall into a bit of a trope. Historically, and by historically I mean relatively recently, when queer relationships were shown on scene, even when we weren't portrayed as somehow evil, deranged, or simply ending up dead, the aspects of those queer relationships that would end up usually main text, i.e. shown on screen, if the relationship were a straight one, weren't. They would end up off screen as subtext, and then we were just supposed to assume that they happened, taking inferences from hints shown on screen. And this is what has happened here again with Safin and Ruffy. I don't think we've even ever seen them kiss. And we're supposed to understand that this whole meaningful relationship has occurred off screen before the end of last season till the start of this season. At most, we're getting lingering looks, hand-holding, open body language, um, Ruffy being a tad jealous. Which I have to say, in 2022, this is simply not good enough. Look, as a lesbian woman of a certain age, I picked Seven as queer from back in the Voyager days. If you know what I'm referring to, you know what I'm referring to. So having that acknowledged has just been wonderful. Not to mention, coming in with that leather jacket and guns blazing, oh yeah. But even with Seven's relationship with Bejazel last season having to be confirmed afterward, and only guessed at on screen, we're having the same thing happen effectively here with Ruffy, and I'm a tad tired of it. They robbed us of seeing their relationship develop and break last season, and this season it's just not much more than winks and nods. Hell, even Picard's gotten more action seemingly. So yeah, do better. Oh, thank you, Dr. Sarah. That was fantastic. Um, Two fantastic points there that I had, uh, I think... Firstly, yes, that last point there from Sarah is what I've been trying to articulate for a while and yeah. she's got it dead on. Is like that relationship seemed to come from nowhere and Sarah's absolutely right. It's because all the action has been off screen. Yeah. It's just like suddenly they're holding hands and like bickering. It's like, what is that? that I, I, mean, it's, I don't it's, dislike them as a couple. No. I think they're great as a couple. But yeah, you're right. We haven't actually seen the development of that romance and that's why it was weird. It's a bit Godwin's law to like immediately reach for J.K. Rowling in this kind of context, <laughs> but it, it smacks of the Dumbledore thing where like, you know, many years passed. Then retroactively. Just, like, retroactively <laughs> homoids of Dumbledore to make him a gay man. Uh, so yeah, it feels a little bit like, oh shit, we haven't quite we haven't got a queer character oh we can make it hurt yeah yeah that's fine sold <laughs> but uh, having said that i do like them as a couple i would just like to see that relationship explored it, it's particularly nice yeah. to see them as a, as a couple not it's not just the same uh, gender thing but also the fact that they are middle-aged um and being very kick-ass about it so it's a good representation of uh, uh lots of different things 
or rather it could be a good representation of lots of different things but i yeah. agree actually with sarah as well but we like it to be a bit falling. more two-dimensional and the punk i'd forgotten about the punk rocker i didn't I'd, realize it was the same guy from the movie that's I had no fantastic idea. I had no what idea. great fact thank you that's sarah a good fact. actual research see that's what happens maybe we should bring these transmissions in earlier so we have some <laughs> actual facts to talk about um sarah did also say an addendum uh, which was um berating you in particular oh, I, think no. it was, I think it was both of us for lumping a kiwi accent in along with the phrase weird accent i I actually, like, I don't think I did say that. We need to dig this out because I think I said... If all, there's a record. I think I actually said all kinds of weirdos. Is, uh, that yeah. might even be worse. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't single it down to the accent. I was talking about us actual just whole body holistic weirdos <laughs> well, I mean, i'm your... sorry as a scottish person i've never been picked up for making fun of anyone else's accent so i'm very sorry i mean i think that wasn't my intention the important thing here is that <laughs> whether it's about weird accent or weirdos we're at the very front of that queue yeah well, i try we when we try and order a diet coke in a restaurant that is a nightmare think we're propositioning them it's awful yeah okay so that's enough picard thank you sarah for and uh, keeping us on track uh look forward to kelly next week peter the week after i think oh could be gordon actually the week after that and then peter there's lots of good folks coming up can't wait to hear what they have to say but let's now turn our attention to non-picardy things what would you like to highlight right partly i've been i couldn't care less talking about picard this week because <laughs> we've had i've seen two really really good films this week that i want to talk about yeah. i was like yeah whatever picard i don't know let's talk about these films because we did an actual film event do you remember oh, our event sorry yeah. for some reason i presumed you were going to your thing first no <laughs> going to my thing saying, we did do a film event and well it was i thought amazing. this was our thing it was our thing Jenny's Cinema that she works at DC Dundee Contemporary Arts here in Dundee uh, quite often does director Q&As or star Q&As so folks who've made the films that are screened there are, come in and talk to the audiences and I've been very honoured several times to be asked by the head of cinema Alice Black to chair those uh, conversations. This past week, and one of the reasons we're so late recording this, because it threw us all at whack, we went out uh, on the Randan and... We got a babysitter. We got a babysitter. We went out at night. Yeah. I can't, I honestly cannot tell you the last time I would have been out on a Saturday night. No, literally can't remember. Years. Um, and we saw an astonishing... We'd, we'd seen a screener before because that's kind of like exciting It was actually on BBC Scotland we have, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Or cut, uh, an edited version. An edited on, on version. BBC Scotland. Anyway... The film is called The Helmet of The uh, Helmet, The Hermit of Trake. And it's a very beautiful, contemplative, soft uh, film uh, recording the life of Ken Smith, a 70 odd year old man now who lives off grid. He lives in a cabin he built himself on the edge of a loch in Scotland. He's lived in solitude without electricity or running water for over 40 years. Yeah. He is completely less so now he's older, but he has lived completely self-sufficiently uh, that entire time. And the film is made by Lizzie McKenzie, who's uh, it's her first film, and she came in to talk to us about it. Young filmmaker, I think part of what is most interesting about it is the story of her making the film. She obviously had to find him, befriend him, yeah. convince him to have his life And recorded. that took seven years. Seven years. I of, mean, not of like constant berating. No, to befriend him and earn his trust. Um, and now she she said he's a total diva. She described <laughs> him jokingly as he actually loves to record what he does. But just the, 
Oh, it's a lovely film. If you can see it, do. Um, it was on BBC Scotland. I suspect it will be on BBC Scotland again at some point. Not least because it won the Audience Award at the Glasgow Film Festival. Just won the Audience Award at the Glasgow. And Ken showed up. Ken came. He said it's the first time he'd been in Glasgow for over 30 years. Yeah. He went along in his tweed jacket uh, to the cinema to, and to see his film screened and win an award. It's a really fascinating film it raises lots of really good questions it uh, doesn't pretend to give any answers doesn't even sometimes ask questions it merely observes and you can think things uh, as you see he's getting a bit more frail now so he's having to lean a bit more on the kind of machinery of society healthcare, and uh, support the post especially with his fan mail yeah he's getting fan mail now uh but my first question to Lizzie was, you know, do you see a, a tension or did he see a tension between that rejection of society and what society can do for you? In other words, to be provocative, why should society care for him when he doesn't care for society? And Lizzie gave a very good answer, not least of which was the response, has he really rejected society? It's just a different relationship mm -hmm. he has yeah. with the rest of the world than the one most of us have. And he, at one point, you see him talking to a GP or perhaps a social worker of some kind. It's a who's, GP, yeah. Who's um, assessing him. And he's like, where would you, would you, couldn't we get your council house? And he's like, I, I, I don't want it. And that was the one time in the film, because I also asked Lizzie about the sort of potential pitfall of romanticization. That's the one time in the film where I felt there was a date we were dangerously straying into that territory of, oh my God, he's so simple. It's such an obvious way of life. You know, that that deification of that simple That Instagraminess of being off-grid, yeah. 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 yeah, hashtag digital detox, you know. Mm, yeah. Let's, let's get off social media for a week, kind of thing. Whereas with Ken, it was incredibly hard work. Like, I mean, he, he'd built an, I think from the film an astonishing life for himself and he seemed to be genuinely content in his life so but one of the audience has thing yeah took effort every single thing was so hard one every bite of food every like um you know just everything like, you know, just stopping up the gaps in the wooden uh logs that made up his cabin with moss and tamping them in and you know just uh, but but just like hours and hours and like we see him posting a letter at one point and he walks 27 miles to post a letter, to post a letter miles and then turns around and walks back again and you sort of think well i guess what else is he doing right but also it's it's a it's a, a very different way of looking at life but the other thing that lizzie said the director said when you put that question to her is the people that would think that is you know what he how is you know rejecting society why should society look, look after him as she said just because he doesn't do what what we would normally recognize as a job as a paid mm -hmm. job and pay taxes or whatever he's he's doing incredible lifelong work recording intricately every day he writes in a diary every day he takes photographs he records in so much detail the natural world around him and he has done so for 40 years she saw him as like a modern day bard she said yeah you very much got the impression that he was bearing witness to the natural world he he, he was a, a watcher he was somebody he was who a was watcher yeah being present and honouring and dialoguing with actually the dialogue things are interesting i didn't get a chance to raise this with her but he does as you say he's taken thousands presumably tens of thousands of photographs and he 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 writes uh and documents like his visitors who he's spoken to at one point actually he's kind of off mic after the event 
somebody had asked him because one of his cabins burned down. Yeah, that's right. And somebody said, well, if his cabins burned down, how has he got this backlog of diaries? And it's because he'd made a copy of them <gasps> and really? sent them to his brother. He's so, so, written so, out so, copies. So, so the entire... Uh, what's the word opus canon archive archive uh, it's more than that but yeah the, the entire kind of body of work uh, they'd done over 30 40 years had been duplicated into his brother astonishing it's an incredible film do you know what i could talk about it for like another hour but we won't um if you get the chance to see the hermit of Trague, we really recommend it it was yeah. absolutely beautiful uh we show we are showing at our cinema here in dundee uh, until Thursday, but it may well be showing at a cinema, an independent cinema near you. So look out for it and watch out for it on the telly. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it was one of the, one of the best things we've seen. And also, it was a lovely experience. And I, I'm always impressed by the, the questions that we get from the Dundee audience at DC. But actually, I was especially impressed uh, that, that, that for that film. While we're on the subject of films shown at DCA, may I just extend our formal congratulations <gasps> from How Picard to Coda, which called is one it. We called it. best <laughs> adapted screenplay, best supporting actor for Troy Kotsur, and best, best picture. picture we didn't see that coming. And there's a lot of dialogue on social media going, lols at Netflix, who've been chasing the Oscar nom, uh, the Oscar nod for a long time. And then Apple, Apple get it. walks in on their first try and gets it. <laughs> Yeah, that really fantastic. We spoke it in our was it our second episode of this. Several we've season. We've mentioned it. I thought um, Troy might get it for supporting actor, but best picture that was incredible. And, and may I say, because we talked about this uh, when we we're talking not on microphones, we talked about this, and you said I don't think I'll get best picture. Like it, it's quite a stretch for. I mean, you didn't say this, but I'm putting, sort of putting words in your mouth. But it's it's on one hand quite a homely film quite an if i see an ambitious film that is to sell it completely short but the actual structure the narrative arc of it is a story we it's a redemption story we've we've heard it a billion times before but one of the things i said was it's conceivable that's its very strength that, that hollywood might go do you know what I, you know perhaps time we thought about classic film storytelling yeah fantastic and their actual oscars campaign has been great as well yes. in terms of just like raising the profile of deaf actors yep. like most recently i saw the entire cast at the white house and they had yep. um uh, a military band um played one of the songs from the film and they had like a resonant i think it was a piano they had something resonant for the deaf actors to put their hands on to hear the music it was really moving and the young actor whose name i've forgotten was crying i can't remember her name the, no the guy Oh, yeah. brother, brother was was weeping it was really really beautiful and i've seen him tell some great stories as well i must i must link to i'll tell you a story now oh god what's his name should we look it up uh the young actor daniel durant uh who plays the brother in the film i, I will find this for the show notes i saw a great clip of him talking about how he got into music uh as a young man who as a child really who couldn't hear and he's he loved the vibration so mm. his mum got a really souped up st car stereo and he said his mum went his, <laughs> his mum went into a supermarket left him in the car and first thing he did was stick on this stick on the stereo and he was like really jamming out like turned up the volume he was really bopping he said cars were stopping to look at him and he was like giving them the thumbs up throwing some moves and all this and his mum came back he said what am i listening to and she said it's npr <laughs> <laughs> talk radio but I, I must find it because he tells it like the actions of him dancing are very funny <laughs> i mean that, that there's a scene very similar to that in the film 
Uh, I, I possibly came from him uh, in, this, <laughs> in the development of the screenplay. Uh, let me just quickly really say, if you ha- if you don't know what we're talking about, the film Coda, Coda stands for Child of Deaf Adults. It's a film about uh, the daughter of a family who can hear, but her brother and her two parents are uh, both deaf. It follows her journey in music. It ends with a concert. <laughs> it ends with an addition to the music to music school. You can kind of see there's a queenie music teacher in the middle of it. I remember writing a little Twitter thread when I came out of DC having seen it. At every turn, it could be schlocky and saccharine and two-dimensional. Even the kind of pushy mum uh, character veers towards that sometimes. But at every turn, it pulls it back. And and I was absolutely in bits for the last quarter of it. The thing I want to talk about today is I had my <laughs> work. We had our Christmas lunch. At the end of March. It is now the end of March, but we finally had our Christmas lunch, which was delayed due to COVID. Um, and when you work in a cinema, your Christmas party always includes a film. So we watched The Worst Person in the World. And it was fantastic. It is out in cinemas now. It is not doing brilliantly. Um, Indie films are really suffering this year. So if it's showing you you and you fancy it, go along and see The Worst Person in the World. It is Norwegian. It's called a comedy drama. The comedy is thin on the ground. (laughs) I would say it's witty. It is Norwegian, so it's pretty dark. It's dark in places. But it's very pretty. Um, it's it's kind of a romance. It's kind of like a romantic drama, I would I would call it. Um it's it's called, I've seen it recently called a millennial coming of age film. It's actually a bit yeah. younger than that. People talk about millennials. I'm a millennial at 42. Um, yeah, it's actually it's about a young woman who's turning 30. It's very fresh, very familiar. The first few scenes of the film are just her endlessly changing her courses and career. She can't decide what she wants to do. Um, meeting terrible men, you know, there's a lot of quite classic things, but it's um really just beautifully done. It's just all about her life, the decisions she makes, the people she meets, how to know when you're happy, um, how the sort of sadness in life can um form you like as as a as a person how it can help you go forward but it's really beautiful and um it's fantastic to see a country in the far north as we are um it's the first time i haven't seen i don't think ever on film the depiction of our very the light in the Mm. far north so she leaves a party in the evening in summer and it's still light Who's the the um the painter, the Scottish painter that has been the subject of a film? Uh James Morrison, Eye of the Storm. Because the the works that you showed me, or rather that I saw on the DCA socials around that, do that that same yeah. thing. These enormous towering, sometimes very black skies, but yeah. that languid, pure, clear, clean, bright, illuminating light, Blue light yeah. falling on on the across these landscapes. It's very particular but just that very heady feeling of yeah i loved it like in the it happens a few times in the film but she leaves a party late at night and that you do get that feeling particularly in scotland where we are uh, still light in the sky but it's night and it's kind of chilly but it could almost be you know it feels like dawn almost even though it's midnight and it's a very strange feeling and it, it uses that idea really really well there's a few times that she's having some sort of like late night confrontation or late night sort of conversation and it's yeah it's like it's daylight almost where is your the strength of your reaction at all 
related to the fact that you'd had two glasses of wine at this point. I had, they gave us two glasses of wine at our Christmas lunch. And then after that, I had to cycle home and pick up my child from school and then come home. With, with some and it time, was still with some, only with four some time o'clock. in between, I should say. <laughs> you weren't cycling blind drunk and then rocking up reeking of booze at this I mean, I'm not playground. blind drunk after two glasses of wine, but I don't recommend cycling after two glasses of wine. I was on a cycle path, I should say. I wasn't actually, you know, weaving on, on the road or anything. But yeah, it's pretty rough. I shouldn't have had two glasses of wine. But it's a great film. I'm speaking absolute bollocks about it because it's very hard to describe, but it's really, really great. Um, That's I, one of the challenges of indie films though, isn't it? Like, and You, you know sound like a wanker talking you know them. this because it's your job to market indie films yeah but they can often be quite hard to convince people to go and see because like when when the next marvel or the batman comes out or something everybody get it all bond everyone's <laughs> oh yeah he's got, a man who's a bat go and see it <laughs> everyone's got some, <laughs> an idea of, of of the currency the the what they're going to get right yeah. it's really going to mcdonald's when you're traveling yeah. or whatever but with indie films you've got to spend precious characters in a tweet or whatever trying to convince people that this thing they've never heard of you've never heard of it you but, need to say it's, it's in norwegian and the title is the worst person in the world and then you've got hardly any characters <laughs> hashtag hello dca T- ticket link and then that's it but it's it's just really enjoyable and if you are uh of that age if you're in your uh, late 20s early 30s i think it will probably really speak to you and and if you're of our age too if you're just sort of um it's an odd sociological emerging from that <laughs> if you're emerging from that little weird tunnel of your 30s it's uh it's quite it's nice it's recognizable um but yeah it's not as it's not as jolly as the trailer would have you believe it there's, there's definitely <laughs> some scandy darkness in there but i do recommend it Fab. Well, look, there's a couple of really good, three, I was going to say a brace, but that's two. So there's not even a single word for three of things. That's a small a trio. Number, a trident. Yeah, a trio. Triad. Tri- triad. Triptych of films you could go and see. Uh, helmet of Trake, Coda, and Stop the calling worst him person. a helmet. Did I say helmet yeah. again? A hermit. It's just my bad diction. A hermit of Trake, Coda, and the worst person in the world. You will, of course, also probably be watching episode five of picard as will we i mean by the time we publish this they'll probably be watching it try to be a bit better at getting the next episode out we promise nothing i promise nothing i might try and write down what happens this time good good idea yeah (laughs) 